at times of intentional pursuit of God, he will give you something you did not have before. And the purpose of that is to be used. And the reason I point that out is just because you're pursuing God and you have this time with him and he's working in your life and he gives you something new, you could have a tendency to think, well, the week is over and, and, the, and the gift is, is gone. What do they do in the NFL? Just thinking about Wednesday nights, I use this, but I don't have notes, and so I just kind of walk around and stuff, so I guess I'm going to use it on Sunday. Um, I don't want you to think that, okay, the week is over, I, I'm, I'm done with that. That's, that's the, the worst thing you could do. Because if God has given you something, it's to be used. Um, I've, been, I've been using this really, um, I, I, the Lord has given me additional boldness this week. Uh, to invite people to church. And I, it's kind of an odd thing for me because as the pastor, I, it, it just, it's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for me to think about inviting people to church. Come to church and hear me tell you what to do and what not to do. It's a, it'll be a colossal, valuable use of your time. Um, whereas you could say, hey, we've got this amazing pastor and God's word is, we've got an awesome teach the, the worship team. Was that amazing worship? Get, come and be a part of this amazing body. That's easy for you, but for me, it's just a little bit harder. But uh, uh, my pastor in Springfield, he shared about a time when he and his wife were at, at dinner and she used this, this way of inviting somebody to church. It's, it's, uh, it's, here it is. Do you have a church? See how, see how, you know, it's like, what? That's too hard for me to say. Now, hey, do you have a church? And then we have these cards that has our times and our address, and it's got the times and address on both sides. So no matter which way they, you hand it to them, they have it. The, the, this, there's an, a boldness in me, and if I only did that while I was fasting, how many opportunities would I miss? If God's given you a burden this week, if he's given you a, a gift of prayer, if he's, if he's given you something this week, don't be surprised by that. That should happen. Now, continue to use it. Continue to use it. This week has brought a, um, <clears throat> we saw an unprecedented thing. Eric mentioned it on Monday night. I was... Uh, in the throes of the worst headache I've had in a very long time. I went to bed at four <clears throat> and I, I, you know, was kind of in and out. I had the football game on and, and I, I woke up about 20 minutes after this man, and I'm an NFL nut. If you want to know post Super Bowl NFL history, it's probably in this file cabinet right here. And I have seen a lot. I, I, it's just it's one of my, the things I, I really love. We've never seen what happened on Monday night. Uh, it was no bigger hit than anyone has seen. The guy's heart stopped, and he fell. And no one has ever seen CPR given on a football field. It, it shocked the world, it, or shocked our nation, and I'm not sure I've seen how shocked our nation got this week since September 11th of 2001. And the dominant word used for all of the coverage was this one word, prayer. That, that just struck. Now, I want to show you this video. 
Um, football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm -hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is. DeMar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you, and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. We will continue to cover this story. We'll continue to bring you all the updates that we have. And as usual, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay. <clears throat> Just a few things to note. Um, first of all, that was on ESPN. ESPN is owned by Disney. Um, I mean, you could, you could attempt to find a more godless outlet entity and good luck um, but all of that was out the window wasn't it thoughts and hey you're in our thoughts that's the corporate line but that wasn't it this week um, those other two the 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 uh, anchor uh, and the other color, color commentator um, both reverently bowed their head. That was genuine. That was spontaneous. And the other thing that really struck me, uh, Dan Orlovsky was the, uh, the gentleman that was praying. That was a prayer to a personal God. That man knows God. How do we know that? Because he didn't quote somebody else's written prayer. He had a conversation with somebody that he knows. And, and that will strike people. There have been moments, and in, in, in work, um, you, have to, you have to understand where you are, time and place, um, in, in, a, in a setting where you're prompted by the Lord to do something like that. I mean, Dan took a huge risk doing that. Um, and if the Lord's called you to do it, he will protect you. I believe that. But if he's not calling you to do it, then you also need to understand what he's calling you to do when. Um, but there have been moments when I have, in a, in a client meeting, I have said, can I pray for you? I've, I have prayed someone, I've prayed with someone, the, the sinner's prayer. Uh, I'd right across my desk, reach my hand across and I said, can you take my hand and just repeat after me? Um, if you quote somebody's written prayer or you pull out a prayer book and you read it, you will not accomplish. I mean, you're basically telling people that you really don't know what you're doing. And you really don't know who you're praying to. Um, if that's offensive to you, then let me help you to understand that. Um, but that's what we saw. When tragedy strikes, though, listen, when calamity hits, because in this life, there will be trouble. All of those non-beliefs, all of those things, when someone's truly looking for hope, all of a sudden, all of the that anger and bitterness and unbelief is pushed aside because they're they're looking for something 
to cling to. There's only one thing that can be clung to, and that is God. I am not a hot topic. If you've been here long, for very long, you know I'm not a hot topic guy. I, I, it is not our place to take the world and preach on it. Um, in, in conversation, I certainly am, am open to that, but what you will not find me doing is taking what happened in the week and then building a sermon around it. We teach the Word of God here verse by verse. It's written very well. We need not rewrite it. And so that's what we do verse by verse. But the Lord laid on my heart this message uh, from James chapter 5 uh, several weeks ago, and just the, the impact, and, and I, don't be, I don't believe there's any coincidence that um, this week that happened and there was a, a, a move, there was a very, very clear move of God um, in, our, in our nation this week because of this. Um, and the reason I say that's not a coincidence is because thousands of churches, I mentioned this on Wednesday night, thousands of churches worldwide take the first week, 21 days, month, to do what we just did, fast and pray. We fast and pray. We just took this week to fast and pray. And it wasn't just our body. Praise God for our body. But we literally joined millions of people. And as the Bible says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, humble themselves means to fast and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. This could be a spark in our nation and wouldn't that be amazing if God used an NFL game on a Monday night, which are cheesy games now. I mean, it's not, Monday night is not the same thing it was 20 years ago. That was the game of the week. Now it's not. Um, but wouldn't that be amazing? So what do we do with that? The book of James is a letter full of tests. We should all read it at least once a year because it is a litmus test. It is a test of our, our disciplines. It's a test of our, um, our maturity. Uh, how do we handle trials and persecutions? How do you respond to the Word of God? What are you doing with your life? It starts fast and it ends abruptly. It ends with a test, a final test, of how you're handling your mission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. Billy Graham said this, the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one, but we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible for how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. What Dr. Graham is saying is that when it comes to evangelism, or as we like to say here, sharing the gospel, we have a responsibility. Not to the past, not fully to the future, but to our own generation. James understands this, and he closes his letter in this way. My brothers and sisters, Christians, church, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's a very dramatic statement. It, it's not a soft close. It's a very challenging statement and a very abrupt close. That's the end of the book. Love, James. Sorry about the bruising and the blood. 
So who is he talking to? We know he's talking to Christians. Who's he talking about? Well, look at it. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth. Do you know anybody in your life who used to be in church? They used to be in church, but today they're not. And I'm not talking about Mill City Church. I'm talking about someone who you knew genuinely had given their heart, had surrendered their life to Christ, but today they are not living for God. Now, I realize that only God can see the heart, but let's be honest. Let's Let's just cut it straight. Jesus himself said, by their fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, you'll know them. And I'm not talking about being judgmental. You don't have to be judgmental. You just have to be, have, have to open your eyes. You have to be observant. It's common sense. Clearly, by evident of the fruit in their life, there is no evidence of Christ living inside them. And, and Jesus is the one who said, judge not lest you be judged. He's the same one that said, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know. James uses the word wander here, which it means to go astray. Now, some people would try to make the case that, uh, well, they really weren't saved in the first place. I'm not willing to go there. The word is wonder. The concept is clear. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, it's the same word, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? The concept here is the sheep was in the flock. The, sh the one sheep wandered away from the flock, from the family. Now, they could just drift. They just drift. Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. In chapter 3, though, there's, a, there's another potential. He says, who has bewitched you? Someone's gotten into their ears. Somebody's gotten into their heads and, and has twisted their theology. Did you know you shouldn't listen to everyone? You should not allow just anyone to speak into your life. You need to be very, very careful who you give your ears to. Jesus confronted the Sadducees. In Matthew chapter 22, he says, you are in error because you don't even know the scriptures. You just, I'm going to go down this particular path. I've made a decision that this is what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to find some scriptures to justify what decision I've made. Out of context, in con you know, no, it's, not of a, it's, it's not in context. It's out of context. It's in error. I'm not trying to be mean or offensive. I'm just telling you the truth. There's a potential there. We've talked about it several times here. Talked about it pretty clearly as we were walking through 1 Timothy. Now, God's grace is beyond our understanding. Praise God for that. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? But the Word of God does not contradict itself. Unless you're taking Scripture out of context. James is clearly talking about someone who was a believer, but they've wandered away. And so when you look at their life, they're not Bible-centered. They're not living a Christ-centered life. They're not living a God-centered life. James would call them hearers and not doers. Do you know anybody like that? Every single one of us. 
And, and I'll take it to another, an, another level here. How many people do you know that are not in church, any church, but if you talk to them, they're quick to say, well, I, oh, yeah, I grew up in church. Oh, yeah, my, my mom used to take me to. Some of you are in church today because you have children and you thought to yourself, I need to get all of a sudden, because you had a child, something changed in you. And that's the Lord speaking to your heart saying, hey, you're responsible for this thing. You spent nine months cooking it. Now you got to raise it. So what's the big deal? Maybe a better question is, what's the danger? What's the fate? What's at stake? My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. The ESV puts it this way, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. What James is talking about here is not physical death. It is spiritual death. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says it is appointed for a man once to die. And then comes judgment. James is talking about eternal death. The wages, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. In Revelation chapter 21, John talks about the second death, puts it in that term. What is the second death? Well, simply put, it is eternal damnation, which is hell. It may surprise you that Jesus talked about hell quite a bit. In fact, 42 times between the four Gospels, Jesus talks about hell. In fact, he talked more about hell than he talked about prayer, than he talked about faith, more than he talked about love. It's unfortunate that within the church today, hell is rarely talked about. In fact, within the church culture, this, this, this crept in um, a lack of balance. It's love, 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 and more love, which is awesome, but rarely is judgment talked about. Repentance, the truth. One scholar puts it this way, in teaching on hell... And judgment, the modern church mindset, cannot reconcile the mercy and love of God with the reality of hell and eternal separation from God. Another scholar put it this way, in the church today, hell has fallen on hard times. That doesn't make it not real. And people are talking about it too. In fact, just two years ago, Aaron Rodgers was quoted as saying this in a podcast, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all of this? He said God wants to condemn people to hell twice. Talk about a complete lack of understanding of who God really is. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And yet, he does talk about it because in his righteousness, he understands that sin must be judged. But in his love, he talks about it because he doesn't want anyone to be there. 2 Peter chapter 3 says that God is patient with us because he doesn't want anyone to perish the second death. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And so he talks to people and warns them about 
hell. Of course, within our culture, the word hell has become all too often used as a slang word or an add-in or a phrase. For some people, it's used as common as the word and or the. What the? You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? So for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about hell. First, hell will be a place of torment. It will be extremely hot. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, the two of them, that would be the devil and his false prophet, were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. In Revelation chapter 20, it tells us that um, hell was created for the devil and his angels. Jesus, in telling the story about the rich man and the poor man Lazarus, he gives us a glimpse of this in Luke chapter 16. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called up to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the finger, his, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Hell will be a place of torment. And in the same way that believers will be given a new body that is, is built to endure heaven and glory forever. Paul writes in Romans chapter 9 that non-believers will be given a new body that is built to endure hell for eternity. Second, hell will be a place of darkness. Jesus references this in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 25, he describes it as outer darkness. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in June, there's another word added. The blackest darkness is reserved for some if you've ever heard somebody say, well, if I go to hell, at least I'll have my friends with me, as if hell is going to be some big party for people who didn't want anything to do with God, I can assure you, hell will be no party. Jesus says it's a place of outer darkness, absolute loneliness. Total separation. There will be enough distance between people in hell that no one will be having a party. It will just be a single person all alone for eternity. You talk to somebody who struggles with depression or anxiety, and one of the worst things that can happen to them is being snowed in for a few days because they're all alone with themselves and their thoughts. That's just a glimpse of what hell will be like. Third, hell will be a place of disgusting stench and worms. Now, we don't know exactly what this means, we can speculate a little bit here. In, uh, in the time of Jesus, uh, we, we see in Mark chapter 9, he's describing the extreme measures that we should take to cut sin out of our lives. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand, cut it off. That, that is the, the, the uh, context that, that he's sharing. And he says, better you lose an eye or a hand or a foot than spend eternity in hell. The word he uses is the same word. And he describes it this way, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. The word used in the Gospels to refer to hell is the word Gehenna. And it's a reference to a place called the Valley of Hinnom. And you can find this referenced in 2 Kings 23, 2 Chronicles 28 and 33 and Jeremiah chapter 7. It's a valley on the south side of Jerusalem, and it was used for idol worship and child and infant sacrifice. 
King Josiah decreed that the place would never be used again for that, and so he defiled it by turning it into the sewage and garbage dump for the city. And it continued to be up to and through the time of Jesus. It's called the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. Jesus compared hell to this flaming, smoldering, maggot-infested, breathtaking stench of a place that's hell. One commentary I, I came across suggested that the mention of worms may be the reference to the gnawing of the conscience. The eternal knowledge of the fact that it didn't have to be this way. Hell will be a place of eternal banishment. There's no return from hell. There is no, there is no such thing as purgatory. Some people believe that hell is just a, a season or, or eventually they will die. They will be punished until they die. Or God in his mercy will relent and let them back in. The problem with that is that the word used for eternal hell is the same word used for eternal God and eternal heaven. So if hell is not an eternal place, then heaven is not an eternal place and God is not an eternal God. Let me assure you, hell is an eternal place. Fifth, hell is a place of weeping and wailing. This means hell will produce great sorrow, eternal sorrow. Luke chapter 13 says there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. Look at this. When you see, some scholars would spe speculate that before people are banished to an eternal hell, they are allowed to see the glory of heaven that they missed and those who are there, which would make hell all the worse. Hell is a place of gnashing of teeth. The Bible often uses this phrase, gnashing of teeth, Job chapter 16. Again, we see it in Acts chapter 7 as Stephen is, is preaching the gospel message and confronting those who are responsible for Jesus' death. They were furious and they gnashed their teeth. We have a little uh, chihuahua. His name is Carl. And he is a teacup is little. I mean, you look at me and you think, you know, that guy's probably got a chihuahua. <laughs> and he's about eight. And we had his dad as part. Larry was his dad. We had both of them for a season. Dad, Larry kicked the bucket a, a year and a half or so ago. And uh, if you get me in a good mood one-on-one, -on -one, I'll tell you the story. It's hilarious. Um, but Carl was like, sweet. Got the house to myself. And then last year, Thanksgiving, a little more than a year ago, we got a puppy. And uh, Herman is just a bundle. He's a, he's a miniature dachshund, and he is just a bundle of joy and has invaded Carl's space. And he's just so interested in playing. He just wants to play. And uh, there's another dog here. Why would we not play together? And Carl, if... If he's not in the mood, he does this. I mean, he's like, Herman's like walking up to this cage, and then you, could just, you can just see those lips rising, those teeth. He's gnashing his teeth. That's what we're talking about here. People in hell will be angry. Why? Because they're convicted. They know that they've done wrong, and instead of repenting, they get angry. Some people that you, con that you confront with the gospel, 
instead of repenting, instead of receiving, they'll get angry, they'll get furious, and that's what people will be like in hell. They will be angry. They'll be angry at God. They'll be angry at the devil. They'll be angry at people. They'll especially be angry at the people who knew but didn't tell them. And they'll be angry with themselves. Hell will be a place that is unique to each person. It's not just one big hole where everybody's thrown in. And there'll be different degrees of punishment based on a person's sinfulness, just like there will be a degrees of blessing and reward in heaven for the believer. Heaven will be awesome for everyone. It won't be the same for everyone. Hell will be horrific for everyone, but it won't be the same. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples on their first missionary journey. And he says this, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. What Jesus is saying here is that the punishment for the towns and the families that the disciples preached the good news to who reject it will have a greater punishment than those of Sodom and Gomorrah. How bad were those places? Well, in pleading with God not to destroy them, Abraham negotiates down to 10 people. If you find 10 righteous people, will you spare the town for the 10? And God says, I will. He couldn't even find 10 combined in both cities. How bad was their sin? How great and grievous was their sin, as he said? Well, in our society today, one of the most disgusting and vile crimes we have in our society is named after the city of Sodom. That's how bad. Jesus, in describing punishment in Luke chapter 12, talks about a servant who knows the master's will but doesn't act accordingly, will receive a severe beating, but the one who did not know the will and did what deserved a beating will get a light beating. Notice the common word is beating in both cases. Hell will be more severe than others. Not all punishment will be the same, but it will be awful in every case. But I want you to hear this. For the person who has heard the gospel and rejected it, there will be greater punishment. And that is why the writer of Hebrews says, today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. If you hear the Spirit's voice, once you've heard the truth, you're accountable for what you've heard. So who is responsible for this? Who's responsible for sharing the gospel? This ministry that God has given us, this ministry of reconciliation, who, whose job is it? Is it my job? Is it some evangelist that goes from city to city for some big crusade? Look at it. My brothers and sisters, if, some, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever. So it's really someone or whoever. So it's anyone and it's everyone. If you are saved, you are responsible for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, that's not my gifting. Well, here's what I would have to share with you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is from God. What is that? The ministry of reconciliation. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. Yeah, but I don't know how to do it. Do you have a church? Yeah, but I can't say. I, I don't know. I don't know how to share that. I don't know how to package it. Steve, you're just so good. I could never do what you do. 
Well, look what he says in verse 20. You are therefore Christ's ambassadors as God were making his appeal through you. How's your walk with the Lord? Does your life show it? If you're saved and you know it, then your life should surely show it. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. At some point, you have to. But let me tell you this. You'll never earn the right to share the gospel in words if you aren't living it out in front of them. You know, one of the most powerful things you can do to a non-believer is apologize when you wrong them. Humble yourself and see what the Lord will do with your life. Who do you know? Who's watching you? What's the result? Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about the grace of God. This is speaking not so much to the amount of sin in someone's life, which is no greater or worse than your own, as much as it is speaking to the depths of the grace of our Lord. How much grace do you need? Because that's how much you got. What is that? What is this ministry of reconciliation? Well, let me, let me share it this way. Anybody ever reconciled their bank statement? There's the age line. <laughs> bank statement is something you get every month. It used to be in the mail every month. A lot of it is electronic now. You get an email that says you can go get your bank statement, and then you're like, well, what's that? And you checks. There's, these are things still. And you write a check, or you get an ATM, and you have a register. You have another thing in your checkbook or access to, and you, it's just a ledger, and you, you write in when you make a deposit and you write in when you make a withdrawal in one other way and you just keep a running total and you get to your, your statement uh, for the month and you compare. This is what the bank says and this is what your register says. And they're supposed to be the same. Often, they're not. And the bank is almost always right. Because they use, you know, it's computers and and calculators, and, and we're using pencil and paper and our own math skills and whatever, or we don't even do it. I mean, that's just, and so the discrepancy is, you know, 99.9% human error. I work at a bank, I tell you, that they're always right. And so what do you do? Well, you go find the error, you erase it, and then you redo it. Well, now let's, let's apply that to life. God has your bank statement. And he's not 99.9 .9 right. He's always right. And he's right. You can't argue with his law. It's not good to murder. It's wrong to lie. It's, I mean, the, the Ten Commandments, you can't argue with the law. It's right. <laughs> And you're not. And so you look at the, you try to balance your life statement and you see the gap. And here's the problem. You don't have an eraser to reconcile 
your bank statement. Now look at it again. All of this is from God, 2 Corinthians 5, who reconciled us. He gave us the money to reconcile, to balance it. What does that mean? It means not counting people's sins against them. He has reconciled our bank statement. And now he says, now I'm giving to you this ministry, which is what? It's, it's the good news that there is a God out there, the one true God, and he has the keys to unlocking hell for you. And he is willing to give you the credit that you could never come up with. Your sin has separated you from him, but he is willing to not count your sins against you. That's good news. And that is the ministry that we have been given. We must take this seriously. If we know how serious the consequences are, why am I sharing this? Because I want to scare you? No, I want you to know how serious this is. Eternity is forever. We have one life. It is appointed once for man to die, the physical death, and then comes judgment. You get one shot. And if you need forgiveness, and you've accepted forgiveness, then you have a story to tell. And you have a responsibility. Just before that previous quote, from Aaron Rodgers, he said this, listen to this, I've had some good friends along the way that helped me figure out exactly what I wanted to believe in. And ultimately, it was that rules and regulations and binary systems don't really resonate with me. Well, I can argue with the what I want to believe in but I can't really argue with the rules and regulations and binary systems really don't resonate with me. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't resonate with God either. It's not about rules and regulations. I'm no better than Aaron Rodgers. He's no better than me. And I'm not better than you, and you're not better than me. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. All of us lived at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and allowing its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's the state of humanity. But because of his great love for us, God, God did it. Him and him alone God, who is rich in mercy. He doesn't want to send his creation to hell. No, he is rich in mercy, and he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Praise God. Yeah, but you don't know this guy. Yeah, but you don't know my dad. Yeah, but you don't know my brother. Yeah, but you don't know. I work with this. Uh, you know what's awesome? We just saw this several weeks ago. First Timothy, Paul has a direct response to that. He says, I'm the worst. And you know what? The Bible is written not by a bunch of people. It's written by one author. It's the Holy Spirit who moved the writers along. So it's the Holy Spirit that's saying Paul is the worst. But look at verse 16. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for us. There's nobody in your world that's too far from him. The wages of sin is death, but the 
gift of God is eternal life in him. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one is too far. No one is unworthy. Listen to this. There's no one who is unworthy of your time and your effort to share the gospel. We have a responsibility, not to the past, not fully to the future, but to right now. And I believe that this year we have been called to make this a top priority of the ministry of Mill City Church. I want to share a letter that I received from a pastor. It's an actual letter. The worship team can come. Dear pastor, how are you? I hope things are well for you. I received your call and didn't get back to you. I can probably say better on paper my feelings anyhow. I'd like to say thank you very much for the card and expressions of sympathy that you sent to me. I find it very hard to cope with things since my brother, whom I loved, has passed on to eternity. Probably because of guilt, and rightly so, because I never did confront him with the gospel point blank and the message of salvation. I think if he is in hell, it is partly my fault because if I loved him, why didn't I tell him? This past year, my uncle died, and I was very sorrowful and very grieved, but not for long because I truly believe that he is with God. What a comfort that is. But if salvation leads to a transformed life in Christ, if salvation leads to a desire for his commandments and a hatred and a declining love for sin in the world, then I don't think my brother was really saved. There is an undescribable pain. My heart has stunk, sunk to my knees and is unable to rise. I can hardly comprehend the thought of my brother in eternal torment and nothing can change it. I just can't be myself anymore. There's no comfort. Why did I wait? I even had a chance as I was the last one in the family to see him. The last few days in my route, I made up a sheet with a witness for Christ on it. I handed out 180 copies to all of my customers. What a God-given opportunity to witness for Christ. Why didn't I do it for my brother? I guess time will heal the wound and make me forget We'll just have to wait for enough time to go by and sweep along with it the pain which is a constant part of my life. We have a responsibility. Time is of the essence. We have just been proven that people are open. Regardless of what they've said in the past, of what they said back when, it only takes one tragedy, one calamity, one trial 
for a crack. On your seats, there's a card. And they're they're identical on both sides, perforated in the middle, and and that's for a reason. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to share the gospel. And this is a, just a physical opportunity, tool, that that we have used in the past and, and we are using again to write the names of some people that the Lord, I'm, I'm believing that, that throughout the last several minutes, the Lord's put somebody on your heart. I mean, a face and a name and a location and how often you see them and an episode, episodes of examples of lack of fruit some of you, it's somebody that you know well. Some of you, it may be a, a relative. Uh, for some of you, it may be a coworker. Uh, for some, it may be somebody that has wandered. For others, it's somebody that you just you love them. They're a friend. They're a they're a relative, and and you hear what what eternity is going to look like separated from God, and you think, Oh my Lord, no, not them. That's who I'm talking. We handed in all of the cards. We passed these out on Wednesday nights. We handed all of the men that we had on Wednesday night because we're starting fresh and new with this new year. And the people already filled some out. There's a stack over here. There's a stack over here of people that have already filled them out. Notice it, one is for you to keep. I keep mine in my wallet. And so every time I go to the gas station, every time I go to the grocery store, every time I open my wallet, I see, pray, and believe. I see the names I wrote down. Write up names on both sides, same names, both sides. Maybe have, maybe one, put two cards. Yeah, put in as many as you want. And we're committed to joining with you to pray. And every Wednesday night, we, they're passed out as you walk in, and we take special time to call on God on your behalf. And then you pray. You keep it in your, on your nightstand or on your mirror or in your wallet or in your car, wherever it is that, that you look at. And when you see that name, when you see that card, you call on God too. And you know that someone every Wednesday night is calling out to God for you, for your friends and family. Listen, this can be, should be, will be a great harvest. And we started the year right. And I just can't wait to see how God's going to use these. You know, why do we hand in the ones before? You know, um, it really comes out of the, the parable of the, of the widow who, who uh, is dealing with the unjust uh, judge and keeps going back and keeps going back and keeps going back and finally the judge is like good grief just okay I'll give you justice just get out of my hair hey God's gracious God and he wants us to keep going back to him this is not judgmental you'll know them by the fruit the last thing any of us would want is to be able to write a letter like that. So this morning, if you would be willing, write the names down. Go ahead and bring it up here after church. Go ahead and put them on the stacks. Stack here, stack there. Put them in the mailboxes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I I am uh, in awe of you. Your power, your presence, your glory your truth, your grace, and your mercy. 
And Father, I pray right now for the names that are being written in this moment that's a physical step of faith that has a spiritual implication. Just the writing of the names, that is saying, I know I heard from God, so much so I'm writing these names down. I'm going to walk down front. I'm going to put it on that stack. I'm going to put it in that mailbox. I'm going to be calling on you on behalf of my neighbors, on behalf of my coworker, on behalf of my, my son and his family, on behalf of whoever that is. God, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would begin to loosen binds that you would open up that crack, that there would be whatever it takes, Lord, to get their attention, to bring them to a place of repentance and dependence upon you. God, may we have the privilege of seeing salvation. Service after service this year at Mill City Church. God, may we have the privilege of seeing people coming to right relationship with you. Life change before our eyes. Heavenly Father, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to just give an opportunity. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're a wanderer or if you're a committed believer or you've never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, but you're here today and you've heard the gospel. The ministry of reconciliation is that your sin has separated You are imbalanced on your statement. And there's no amount of money that you can give. There's no amount of works that you can do. There's nothing within your power. Then can bridge that gap. But God who is rich in mercy stands before you offering to you the free gift to balance the books so that your sin will not be held against you. you've never made that decision, you've never accepted that offer, or the word wander resonated with you, that's me. You need to repent and receive his forgiveness. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. And if you could just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you today. Is anybody here today? Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? Thank you. Awesome. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Bless you. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, don't harden your heart. Anybody else? I'm believing for one more person. Thank you. Praise God. Somebody that's been in church before, you could tell me, you could tell me all you've heard, all you've seen, but for whatever reason, you've gone another direction with your life and you're here today and you want to say that's today's the day. Anybody else? Awesome. John and Steph, could you come down here? Daryl, would you come up here? Jake, over here. Luis, could you come up here? Would you come up here for a second? A lot of hands raised. 
And it's okay if we, if we start service a little bit later. We might have to start second service about 10 minutes late. It's fine with me. Let's stand together. And I'm going to ask, I've never done this before, so I'm taking a risk here. Would you look at the person next to you and say, if you raised your hand, I'll go up front with you. Or if you didn't raise your hand and you needed to, I'll walk up front with you. Would you be willing to just take a moment, just look at the person next to you and say, did you raise your hand? I would like to go up front with you. Is there somebody? If you saw somebody. Just come on up. Praise God. you come up here? Over on this side, just in case. Over here, Brian. It's awesome. Can we praise God? Praise God. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, I rejoice because all heaven rejoices when one comes to you. There's no one righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the cost of that is is death, but the gift that you give us is life eternal. Praise the name of the Lord. God, I praise your name for people who have taken a step. Now for this congregation, let's raise a hallelujah. Let's raise a hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's sing and rejoice. And let's let heaven hear. Let's let heaven hear this this morning. Amen.